Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care, and with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. From CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Stay Tuned in Brief. I'm your host, Preet Bharara. My guest this week is Pete Buttigieg. He first joined me on Stay Tuned in 2019 when he was on the cusp of announcing his candidacy for president. He told me then... Well, maybe the simplest way to introduce myself is that I'm a, a Midwestern millennial mayor. He is now the Secretary of Transportation and most recently appeared as a guest on Stay Tuned in July 2021 to discuss President Biden's infrastructure legislation. I'm pleased to now catch up with him at the sidelines a Vox Media's code conference in California as he nears two years in his cabinet post. Mr. Secretary, thanks for joining us. Good to be with you again. So can we talk about infrastructure in the few minutes we have? I love talking about infrastructure. I know you do. <laughs> it's, it's infrastructure week once again. Yeah, except it actually is exactly. every week. So the first thing I want to ask you is about how well-known this legislation is. I saw a poll that suggests that many Americans, I think one poll that said most Americans, may not be aware that the infrastructure bill passed does this mean you're not doing enough podcasts? <laughs> so I think what it means is that Americans are not always following the ins and outs of the legislative process or the blow by blow there. Uh, it is true. I, I think certainly by Washington standards, at least, uh, fewer people than you would think know that the infrastructure law passed. But the important thing is for people to know that we're doing a lot of infrastructure. In other words, it's less about the legislative vehicle that got it done and more about people recognizing and sensing and seeing that the uh, the, the, the funding and the decisions being made by this administration and, and the work that Congress did to give us these tools is actually being put to work for them. But are these things that are that were in the pipeline already or are these tangible – consequences of that particular legislation? These are things that would not be happening unless, uh, or at least many of them wouldn't be happening without the grants that we're, we're providing and the grants wouldn't be happening without the legislation. So you can draw a direct connection between the president deciding this is a priority and the members of Congress who voted for it and me being able to make an announcement with the people of these communities that yes, we're going to get a new berth for this port. Yes, we're going to fix your streets and make them safer. Yes, we're going to be able to build a, a rail link here in, in, in this uh, logistics Hub you and improve a, our supply chain. You show up with a ceremonial shovel. Uh, we started doing big checks, actually, just because <laughs> like I didn't publishers clearinghouse. Yeah, because I I don't want you know, uh, especially on my side of the aisle. I think sometimes we're a little too subtle. And we need to make sure that that uh, there's no mistaking how and why this happened. This is your government working for you. 
And so um, we're literally we're, we're doing the shovels for the groundbreakings. I'm doing the checks for the award announcement, uh, so that people uh, understand in in in, in more concrete terms yeah. what what this all adds up to. So the money, what was it, like a million bucks? What was in the bill? <laughs> so of, of the one point two trillion, oh, about, about trillion uh, with a TR, yeah, about okay. about half of that is transportation related. Okay, and of that, do you have an understanding as to how much of it is for new stuff, and how much of it is to fix? decaying stuff? So part of that actually depends on what people come to us with. A lot of these are grant programs where a community is actually going to decide, hey, this is the thing we most need. And it might be to replace a bridge. We're just in Tucson, 22nd Street Bridge there. It's in rough shape, hasn't fallen down or anything like that. But because of its condition, they have to limit, uh, load limit the bridge. What that means is a heavy vehicle, school bus, truck, Ambulance, not allowed, which, of course, has implications on everything from supply chains to emergency response. So we're going to help them replace it with a new one that won't have that problem. Uh, other places, it is uh, it is something completely new. It really depends. Uh, some of the airport work, uh, same thing. Sometimes it's building a whole new terminal. Sometimes it's repairing something that's been there for a long time. And what we're finding is the needs are different in each community. And so we, the programs are designed that way. I, we don't sit in, in Washington thinking up, oh, your town ought to have a bridge here. Yeah, so I I think this is something that people may not understand because they haven't read the bill. And actually, many, many members of Congress may also not have read the bill. That's our little secret. The bill doesn't set forth in line item, you know, which airports are going to get money, which streets are going to get repaired. Right. How broadly is that designated? And then when a local community, a state or a municipality wants to do something with infrastructure and transportation, how does that come into reality? So the basic philosophy of these programs is that the ideas don't all have to come from Washington, but more of the funding should. And when we send out that funding, it's going to line with priorities that that we care about. So I'm not going to sit there and say to – uh, you know, a community, Tulsa, you ought to have a bridge here or you ought to move your highway there. They're going to decide that. But what we will do is we'll put out word uh, in, uh, for example, in, in RAISE, that's one of our flagship programs uh, that we just announced about uh, $2 billion in funding. You know, we're going to be looking for communities that have thought about safety, that have thought about climate and how their project is going to help with uh, with climate and pollution, that have thought about equity. And, uh, you know, if, if, if there's been a, a justice issue with who gets access to transportation, that this is going to make it better. And projects are going to do well when they reflect some of those considerations. So we shape the general policy priorities. They come up with the actual ideas and we fund as many of the good ones as we can. So let's say I'm a mayor of, I don't know, South Bend. Sure. Um, I'm, I assume they have a new mayor. They do. They do. Yeah. Okay, good. In fact, they just got a grant recently. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. is that appropriate? Uh, it you was, have to uh, yourself uh, that? yeah, it was, it was all based on uh, <laughs> uh, staff recommendations. So you're a mayor in some town, South Bend or, or elsewhere, and you think, well, this bill just got passed and there's a lot of money and we need some help. Do they send an email? Do they go on a portal? Like, <laughs> well, so, what do they do? Yeah, so the mechanics of it, it's actually something we're looking at because we're trying to make it a little less complicated. Because I remember being a mayor of South Bend. It's not like I had a federal affairs team uh, on staff to navigate this stuff. And it's expensive to apply for federal money, which means some of the communities that need it most, small communities, rural communities, low-income communities, uh, tribal communities, are some of the, those that would be at a disadvantage trying to get the funding. So what happens in these competitive programs, we put out a notice of funding opportunity, a NOFO in federal speak. Out, and, you, and you put that on a website. Yeah, goes out on a website uh, and basically says, here's the purpose of the grant. Here's how to apply. Here's what you need to do in order to be competitive. 
Um, and uh, so to make it a little more specific, in, in a program like uh, – we have a resilience program. Uh, we'll, we'll put that out uh, soon that will say, all right, here's a, here's a bunch of funding available to help your communities be more resilient. Maybe it's uh, uh, evacuation routes for, for hurricanes. Maybe it's uh, uh, how to move a roadway that keeps getting flooded because of climate change to higher ground so it doesn't get flooded anymore instead of just fixing it the way it was. Here are the things you need to do to qualify. A lot of it's about compliance, making sure that federal taxpayer dollars are being spent appropriately and transparently. But some of it's about policy, right? The things that we believe this, uh, that Congress uh, in, the, in the law set out for this, these dollars to be used for. So how bureaucratic and lengthy is that? Well, that's what I'm working on. So <laughs> some of these notices of funding opportunity, the NOFO, so to speak, are more than 100 pages. NOFO so is also a bad, bad nickname. <laughs> I, would, I would change it from NOFO to something else. All right. Let, let me, we'll, we'll see what people come <laughs> okay. up with. Um, so one thing we did was we had uh, three different programs. We rolled them up into one NOFO. In other words, uh, one simple way to apply for all three of them so a community didn't have to navigate three different – it's kind of like the common application for college, yeah. right? So instead of <laughs> yes, having to fill in your zip code – a little bit. All right. So, so you know, instead of having – before that, that would mean that that, that if, if, if someone wants to apply to seven colleges, they got to fill in their address seven different times on seven different sheets of paper, right? Wait, so, so the mayor has to do a personal statement? Uh, <laughs> that, that would be interesting, actually. That would, uh, that'd be one way to give them a little more flavor. Put all the honors um, in there. So, but my point is, we're, you know, we're trying to make it less pages, less steps, less yeah. complications so that the less resourced communities can compete and win. Is it sometimes the case, or is it always the case, that these uh, possibilities for communities mean that they need a, a bridge built or a road rehabilitated, that the federal money will fund all of it? Or is there sometimes sort of a matching understanding? Yeah, so it depends. A lot of it is based on a match, but sometimes the match is prohibitive. It could be 80%, 80 to 20, 20% local dollars. And that might not sound like a lot, but maybe for a low-income community, certainly a community like I yeah. uh, served as mayor, um, that could be the difference between whether you uh, apply or whether you don't bother. So one of the things we've done in, for example, part of the bridge program for what are called off-system bridges, typically more uh, smaller uh, uh, um, areas, in more rural areas that, that we've actually made it possible to do a hundred percent match. That being said, in a lot of the programs, it's important to have that local match for the, for the, the, the city, the transit agency, whoever's applying to demonstrate that they can bring some resources to the table. We'll do the rest. So once somebody succeeds in getting a grant, let's say it's for the whole thing, no matching and the money gets sent, mm -hmm. gets put in a bank account somewhere, presumably. Uh, it's usually a reimbursement system, but it, yeah, it depends. Right. Uh, it's like, it's, it's not cryptocurrency. It's money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, it's good. Uh, and, good and then once that happens and you're signed nice. off as the department, are you then unconnected to the project or do you have some ability to, among other things, rein in cost and yeah. quality control? No, there's, there's a lot of quality control that goes on here. There's a lot of steps. Part of it's the NEPA, uh, the, the famous National Environmental Protection uh, Act. Basically, anything that you do with federal dollars has to go through a number of procedural steps to make sure communities were included in, in decisions about, uh, about what to do. That, um, uh, that is a, a key step. There's a lot of just kind of auditing checks and balances. We're talking about federal taxpayer money. It's very important to make sure it's very accountable. But let me also say this. You and I have mostly been describing the competitive grant where we say there's $2 billion out there, uh, come to us with your, your great ideas, and then we pick uh, the, the ideas that we think are strongest and, and most compliant. For every dollar that we do that way, there's many more that go out by formula. In other words, we send it to the state DOT, and as long as they're within the left and right boundaries of the law, they can use it on anything they see fit. And so we're also working a lot with the states on uh, things like how these investments can help or hurt with something like safety, 
how they can do a, a good job of including uh, workers and businesses that are uh, owned by, uh, for example, a lot of women-owned uh, businesses, uh, black and Latino-owned businesses that have been cut out of uh, contracting in past generations that, that they get a fair chance to compete and win. Um, and other things that are really a little bit indirect, kind of a bank shot, because we're not actually picking and choosing uh, and spending. We're working with the people who do. So in a way, you could think of our role as the middle. At the beginning of an idea, so somebody else in a community is having an idea, we need this, whatever, we need this new bus line, but they don't have the funding. They come to us or, you know, the, our dollars going, our federal dollars going through the state. And that's where the federal role comes in. Uh, and, and we help shape that. And then at the end, it's up to them to deliver, right? We don't actually do the digging or the, uh, or, or the construction. It's certainly not the operation. Uh, we just make sure that it's meeting the requirements for how to use federal dollars uh, and that it's, uh, that it's successful. And then we got to do, I think, uh, a better job as a federal government of making sure people know that this is how their tax dollars are being used. More podcasts for you. Um, Can you give a sense of, with respect to the $1.2 trillion, half of which is for transportation, how much is out the door and and what the sort of um, disbursement will be over time? So we're just over $90 billion in terms of dollars that have been made available. Already? Yeah. Now, now that can mean a lot of different things. So I want to be clear. Sometimes that means that we've uh, shipped the dollars to the states in the formula grants. Uh, Sometimes it means that they've been awarded. That doesn't necessarily mean that the – I'm learning uh, a lot of convoluted steps to some of the the movement of money. But uh, but to simplify a little bit, about $90 billion is out there now. Do you see the pace picking up or it'll be? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, earlier I thought there'd be two stages to this, uh, to this job, really. Uh, the first year, which was selling and hopefully succeeding uh, on, on getting that infrastructure law bill done. And then everything after, which is running these programs. I'm finding actually there have been three stages. The first, everything up until the president signed that law in November was, was getting the bill passed and helping with that. Then this last year has really been creating all of the programs, all of the plumbing, so to speak, for these programs, these dollars, all of this to come together. 46 new programs were created within the Department of Transportation alone, in addition to growing the ones we already had. And that's everything from the resilience program I, I mentioned a little bit earlier to uh, a uh, program that's dedicated on railroad crossing elimination uh, and all kinds of things. So we're standing these things up that never existed before. In this, the first of the five fiscal years covered by the bill, where that $660 billion has to move. I'm really looking forward to the next uh, uh, stage, the four years ahead, because then what we're doing is we're, we, the programs exist. We're fine-tuning and we're improving and we're checking how they're going. We're making them better. We're seeing the projects that work best, the ones that came up short. In many ways, the hardest part and, and, and in many ways, uh, the, the decisive part because the implementation, the execution, the results, that's what this is all about. Uh, but that's the the stage that we're launching into now. Uh, but the fun part of it is getting out in these communities, seeing the, the the first of all the pride of the local leaders who put together these these visions and are now getting getting them funded, and then most of all talking to the people whose lives are going to change because of the improvements, whether their commutes getting shorter, their neighborhoods getting safer, their airs getting cleaner, all all because we're taking this action. Which you know leads me to ask the question because I don't know the answer to this. Doing a lot of traveling, going to communities as you've been describing. Do you have a plane? Is there like transportation secretary one? <laughs> so uh, most of the time I'm on an airliner. Uh, definitely yesterday, tomorrow. Like a commercial airliner. Yes. Um, but once in a while, yeah, there is. Uh, there, so there do is. they know, so when, so when you fly in an airplane and there's crappy service, do they know that 
you're Pete Buttigieg? Uh, I'm guessing it just kind of depends. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I've definitely uh, had my share. Of... You say, do you know who I am? Do you do that? No. Um, I, I got canceled. Do that. No, do in that. fact, we're careful. You know, if, if I'm traveling on the government dime and I happen to get upgraded because of my frequent flyer or whatever, I, I try to, you know, get back out of there because I don't. I don't want, I don't think it's a good look to be sitting in first class when you're on government, you know, travel. You think it's a better um, look to be sitting by the lavatory in the back as a cabinet secretary? I mean, sometimes that's where they put me and that's... Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I was a government servant, you yeah. know, for a long time. Yeah. And and I would be on planes with friends in first class. Like, what are you, what are you doing in the middle seat in the back? Like, <laughs> that's that's the government job. Yeah, yeah. I try to go for a window or an aisle seat, but sometimes it's a middle seat. It, it is what it is. Look, I, I mean, uh, I've probably been canceled three times in the last two or three months. So, so you know, we've, we've all experienced some of the frustrations of air travel and we're seeing improvement too, but there's a long way to go and we're, we're going to stay on that. Last question, because this is Stay Tuned In Brief. Mm-hmm. Is there a favorite project that you have seen funded or that has been mentioned to you that's part of this? I wouldn't dare pick a favorite, yeah. but let me just uh, tell you the one I saw today. Yeah. I'm seeing one just you about were every day. Tell me about it before we start. So my new word of the day is centroid. Centroid sounds like a Star Trek. It's a robotic thing. insect. Yeah, no, it's it's a term for this thing at the uh, Port of LA. Basically, picture a um, uh, like a race. It's the shape of a racetrack, kind of an elliptical shape, made out of railroad. And uh, very creatively, they started using the inner space of it, which hadn't been used very much, uh, to put extra chassis and containers during this period we faced last year when so many containers were building up, container ships uh, uh, that, that were coming in in an irregular wave from, from China post-COVID or during that, that, that stage of COVID. And uh, what we're, the, the, in order for a truck to get into or out of that, uh, that zone, they have to cross this elliptical track. And there's one place to cross it, which isn't very optimal because uh, either the truck has to wait or the, the trains have to wait. Or there's a tunnel, which doesn't really work well either. So we're building a bridge over this track into the so-called centroid that is going to mean uh, more chassis availability, containers moving more quickly. It's going to save something like 2,500 truck hours per day when it's complete. And we're, we're giving them 20 million bucks to help get it done. So that's just one example of something that, you know, most people will never see that or right. feel it or know it. But you could be sitting at our house in Michigan and a product will get to you sooner or cost a little bit less to ship because that improvement was made in the port of Los Angeles and that's everything is connected and that's what we're trying to uh, uh, to um, support and deal with 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 all these funds so we are out of time because it's in brief thank you for your service safe travels and congratulations on becoming a dad thanks very much thank you secretary Pete Buttigieg If you like what we do, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. Send me your questions about news, politics, and justice. Tweet them to me at Preet Bharara with the hashtag AskPreet. Or you can call and leave me a message at 669-247-7338. That's 669-24-PREET. Or you can send an email to letters at cafe.com. Stay Tuned is presented by CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The technical director is David Tatashore. The senior producer is Adam Waller. The editorial producers are Sam Ozer-Staten and Noah Azulai. The audio producer is Nat Wiener. And the CAFE team is Matthew Billy, David Kurlander, Jake Kaplan, 
Namata Shah, and Claudia Hernandez. Our music is by Andrew Dost. I'm your host, Preet Bharara. Stay tuned. <laughs>